Well, as we uh, continue on in 1 John, we're actually in chapter 4, and uh, Lord willing, we will finish that chapter. And uh, we'll actually move into Reformation week uh, next week. And uh, that always reminds us of uh, our great heritage that the Lord has given us and through men who uh, discovered the truths of the Scripture and hammered out some things that are precious to our doctrine. Anyway, there are tests that are presented in First uh, John in this epistle that's uh, repeatedly found. It seems like I start out with this every week, but that's really what John is. He just builds on a test and then another test, another test, and he'll come back on one of those tests and give you a little bit more. And he'll come back a third time and give you a little bit more detail on what that one test was or second or third. And so we get more of that. And what this does, it really shows the evidence of our salvation. We have evidence. We have uh, something that as we practice these truths of Scripture, then we can be assured that we have salvation. And we have the capacity to do the things that are spoken of here in First John because of Christ who is in us. And so it's not something that we in ourselves can do, but it's because of the perfect love that's given us. It's, it's a complete love, a mature love. It's in its fullest sense, the ultimate mass, this true love, this pure love. So anyway, this is a high degree that now he takes us to, John does. He has talked about love a couple of times so far, and he's built upon that, and now he brings it up to its height. Uh, we found out... In uh, chapter 2, he talked about it. In chapter 3, now here we are in chapter 4. In verse 7, we are commanded to love. It's a constant self-sacrificing love. And everything that we're to do uh, is to be built around that. It's the great test. It's a great test of our salvation. Because if it's really in us, if we have God, and God is love and He is in us, then it is something that is there. We are people that are saved. And we have assurance. So it's possible, and not only possible, we will manifest His his love. Uh, That's an evidence. A very good evidence of genuine salvation is do they have love for their brother. Uh, It's a supernatural love. It's a love that goes beyond anything that's human. We'll call it superhuman love, this perfect love. So for Christians, we're going to show this forth. Now, we left off last week in chapter 4, verse 12 where it said, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. So that kind of introduced us to this section today. It kind of leads right into it. It's a great introduction there. No man has seen God. Well, we ask, how can people see God then? You know, He's invisible. How are they going to see Him? Well, we as Christians know that the answer is us. That's how they see God. Christ living in us. If He's invisible, they see visible things. Physical people see visible things that they see. And they see in us that God actually exists. If we're manifesting that love, this is how we can impress upon them that God truly does exist. In a world, in a culture that says God doesn't exist, God didn't create, and the majority of them are in that kind of thought process. And so how can we convince them? Well, the best way is to be able to show it, but obviously we get to speak it too. 
Uh, we put God on display every time we come to worship as a congregation. Because we love each other, we love God, we love worshiping with each other. I mean, that's a highlight of the week, isn't it? Isn't it the sunum bonum? Because we get to meet God's people as we have been with Him all week and we come together to express that. So it's, it's uh, putting God on display. Well, we're at uh, chapter 4 and we're starting at verse 13. And I'm going to read the first section here, 13 through 16. And we'll start kind of parsing that, taking that apart a little bit if we can and see if this can help us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Now, have you ever noticed John repeats a lot of things? He knows our minds. We can get something and then the next day forget it. Hey, I can identify with that. I can read something in the next five minutes. I have forgotten. (laughs) So he reminds us constantly. Peter said, I write these things so I remind us of these. So anyway, uh, again, stuff that we already know, but he wants to get into a little more detail. Okay. Love is the assurance of our salvation. That is a great assurance. And this is why John wrote this letter. We have perfect love. We have the perfect love of God. We have assurance. And would you not say that this is the major theme of 1 John? I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were wondering if because they had sin in their lives and we all battle sin, but... They're becoming a little short-sighted, possibly. And they want to know, hey, is it? can we really know if we can have salvation? I kid you not. I go, oh, well, you need to be reading First John. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't exactly say it that way, but I said that if you could, uh, if you could turn to First John, as time went on, I said, uh, read there and, and you'll see the test uh, if, if you're a Christian or not. And one of them is, do you have love for God? Do you show your love uh, to God by loving others? And then we went through some other tests. But the text right here begins with these words, by this we know that we abide in Him. Now let's take that phrase. We know. And John keeps saying that all through 1 John. I write these things so that you may know you have eternal life. There's no reason to go around the rest of our Christian lives wondering, well, I'm not so sure if I can say I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian today, but I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm doing pretty good today, but tomorrow... See, that's based upon our own selves, isn't it? That's a man-centered gospel. Christ-centered gospel says, hey, I'm in Christ because of what His work did. It's His grace. It's all His work. Sure, I want to be obedient. That tells me that I have a hunger for God and I have a love for Him. But uh, John says this quite frequently. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, By this we may be sure that we know Him. We may be sure we know Him. No, sure. Chapter 2, verse 5, By this we may be sure that we are in Him. He's saying you can be confident absolutely in chapter 3, verse 10. By this it may be seen who are the children of God. 
chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. This is for surety, isn't it? So if somebody says, hey, listen, you can't know for sure if you're getting into eternal life. There are, uh, there are big denominations who will tell you that. You can lose it. Matter of fact, I would say at least half the denominations believe that you can lose your salvation. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible whenever you have all of these scriptures and saying, what is wrong? Well, it's not biblical theology and the reformers discovered that after they came out of a background that says you can lose your salvation because it was works oriented. It was based upon what you do. John keeps repeating this. Chapter 3, verse 19. He wrote this because people were saying, hey, better be careful there. You don't know for sure. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. By this we shall know. Chapter 3, verse uh, 24. By this we know that He abides in us. He lives in us. We know. Chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God dwells in you. Chapter 4, verse 6. By this we know the Spirit of truth. Chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Chapter 5, verse 13, and here's the key verse of all. And people say, hey, you can't ever tell uh, anybody that they can know. And John says, I write to this, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. Well, that's John writing that. John is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God is telling us we can have assurance. So we're given evidences now in verses 13 through 16. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The first one is found at the end of verse 13. God has given us His Spirit. How can you know? Well, we have the Spirit of God. We know He lives in us because the Spirit of God lives in us. And it's not the, uh, as we often say, the burning of the bosom, as the Mormons will say. They say, you might ask them, well, how, how do you know that you really are a believer? And they'll say, I had a burning of the bosom. Can you imagine that? Some kind of fire going on. Well, we have, um, as Christians, subjective truth. There is objective truth. There is subjective truth. The Holy Spirit in us, He indwells in us. He tells us that. But still yet, there's objective truth that will back that up. So we go to 1 John 3.24. This is easy. You turn back a page. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. Why is that? By the Spirit whom he has given us. Here's how we can know. The Spirit is given us. Well, we get more information all the way back uh, to the uh, book of Romans in chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the the Spirit of God is actually bearing witness with us. In Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, Holy Spirit is mentioned here says, in Him you also trusted after you heard the Word of Truth. And there's where the Word of God comes in. You hear the Gospel, the Word of Truth, the Gospel of your salvation. When you hear that, in whom also having believed, you believe that. You hear it, you believe it. 
then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And here's the guarantee. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? There's a guarantee. Uh, a down payment is made. The Holy Spirit is in us until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. That's what it's all about. It's all about His glory, right? So how can you know? Well, because of that. Subjective truth. Uh, another good way to examine it is in Galatians 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. It starts showing out. It shows. shows forth. So how do you know? Well, it's not just because you have some kind of impulse or you hear some kind of voice. It's because, you know, you believe the Gospel. You heard it. You believed it. You confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. You believe that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and you confess that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells you that and that is one reason. Right here in verse 13 through 16, we are given three evidences that we can know and we are Christians. Uh, as he says, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 14 and 15, we get a second evidence. And uh, this is that God makes it possible. Not only just possible, He is the one that is the reason that we confess Jesus is God. Now, John says in verse 14, after he's talked about the Holy Spirit, he says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Probably, and most commentaries that I I had read would, would say that we have seen is John and the other apostles as he stated in chapter 1 uh, when he said that um, we, we looked upon Christ and our hands have handled concerning the words of life. That was dealing with the apostles. So when he says it here, it's a good probability that we have seen, we testify. I'm telling you, you didn't see him necessarily as he writes to these people, but he says, we saw him. And we testify that he is the Son of God. And so it's, they're relying upon the uh, Apostle John and the teachings of the Apostles that got to them, uh, the Word of God and the Gospel, and uh, as the Spirit of God had bore witness to them that he was the Son of God. Uh, today we have the apostolic writing. The gospel comes from the scripture. And we hear that. We hear what they preached about the resurrected Lord. Peter had said a great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus said, blessed are you. You did not say that from your own self and your own intelligent mind. I'm uh, kind of rephrasing that. You didn't do it because you thought of that, but what? God the Father revealed that to Peter to say that. So, we can't even say it on our own. We can mouth it. But to really mean that and say that, Peter had been given the very, uh, uh, actually, truth from God to make that great confession. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, uh, it says that no one can confess Jesus Christ as Lord um, really, unless it really comes from God, it's uh, Spirit of God. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, I believe. 
Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, which they must have been doing in Corinth, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the reason when you made that true confession of Jesus Christ, you said Jesus is Lord, you said it because the Spirit of God had come in and regenerated you. You know what that's teaching me? Regeneration. You, you can only have faith because you have been regenerated. And so you can believe that and say it. In 1 Corinthians 2, which is one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible, because it shows that it comes from God, He gets all the glory. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, it's the Spirit of God, again, who is given to us. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. It's not from man's wisdom and our own thinking, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. They can only be spiritually discerned. So, we confess the truth of Jesus being Lord because the Holy Spirit came into each one of us. This definitely teaches regeneration, doesn't it? Um, Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2.42, everybody gathered around them. They broke bread every day. They had fellowship. What were they being focused around? The Word of God, right? And that was the Apostles' teaching. They took it on out, took it to the rest of um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. They preached the same Gospel. The Gospel then is believed. People confess. They're confessors of the Apostles' Doctrine. The original message of the cross. Of course, Jesus is the message of the cross. Jesus is the gospel. God is the gospel. But they are the ones taking that out, that apostolic message. And so what we do today, 2,000 years later, is place our faith in Jesus Christ and we confess that. We confess. We make confession that Jesus is Lord. That's the ultimate confession. There's confessions of faith, which are outlines of what you generally believe, but they're based upon the Word of God. This is where we got the power. The Word of God, the Spirit of God. The Apostles' Doctrine, the Spirit of God. It's objective truth that backs up the subjective truth of the Holy Spirit who is in us. So we have an outward confession which is based or, uh, an outward confession of faith that has an inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, that's a test right there. The doctrinal test. We're getting a love test today and we're also getting a doctrinal test. The doctrinal test. Do we confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Do we love others? We don't, we don't get the third test. We just get two tests today. Only have none. The finals are coming. Ready, Julia? The finals are coming. Yes. Okay. So that's what we believe. Now we go into the third evidence of this first part here. Uh, God has given us a spirit, right? And uh, uh, God has also given us the apostles' doctrine. It's the confession. We confess that Jesus is Lord. We believe that, right? If we say, hey, well, I know that I'm a Christian because I confess Him as my Lord. He is my Lord. He is King. He's sovereign. He's totally in control of my life. Uh, I just let, just desire for Him to control my life. To fill me up, lead me every day. Okay. 
That's a pretty good indication if we have that kind of uh, confession that, that goes on. Uh, verse 16, we see that we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Well, God dwells in us and He makes it visible in us. Love that was eternally in God. Always there. He's always been love. He is love. And then it was historical in the person of Christ as He was manifested in the flesh is now visible in the church. It was visible in the person of Christ while He lived here and He ministered for three years. He definitely showed His love as He gave the truth and then He did miracles to back up that truth. And now that same love that He had is now visible in the world. Our love is visible in our corrupt, terribly wicked society and it's visible. Sometimes we don't see it so great, but it's there. The experience of this love is going to prove the reality. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, and I believe it's a really good summary here, what Paul thinks about the Thessalonians. It says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning. Why? To be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He sets us apart, gives us the doctrine, He chose us, and then He does all this. And then what we saw was there was the two things of the work of God. Paul looked also into these Thessalonians. He looked for love and faith. Also hope. Those are the three great gifts that will continue on through eternity. But in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, here is what he looked for and here's what he found in the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. It's only fitting to be thanking God for you guys because your faith grows exceedingly. Like that adverb there. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. He says, there is why I know you are Christians. Your love, your faith is growing exceedingly. Exceedingly. It's abounding. It's going over and above just a straight love. They continue to do it. And his prayer for them was that it wouldn't stop. Hey, you really love each other. Do it more. Do it even more. He said, well, that's enough. Okay. Now I've shown love there. I'm going to kind of back off a little bit now. No, no, no. What does he want that love to do? To keep on super abounding. To go over and above. Keep doing it. Say, well, I've done enough. What more can I do? And he just keeps pouring out all that love that he has. You can't ever outdo God and he'll just keep pumping it in. You know, in Romans 5, he says, this love is poured out abundantly in our hearts. Well, man, we have it. And he can say, well, you know, I'm out of it now. Well, all he does is come in and he just fills it up again. You know, he just keeps doing that. Boy, what a God, a great God. He never runs out of love. You're going to know that you abide in God and God abides in you because you abide in love. <laughs> Did you catch that? That's what John said. 
Okay. Understand that God did this out of love. Because God is love, and therefore if you are belonging to God, then you are characterized by this nature of God, His love. And then you will love the way that God loves. You look at the triune God. God the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Holy Spirit is in there. They're all just loving each other in a perfect God-like love, not like the Hollywood love. And then you will start loving those who belong to Him, uh, even though they are the unlovely, at least you think. And you even start loving your enemies, who are not even Christians, who hate you because of your love for God. And you hate and 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 you hate the fact that they don't love God, but you want them to love God, so you show love to them. How did I ever do that? I didn't even practice it. Sorry about that. Let's move on. Okay, love is our testimony. Uh, love is the assurance. Love is the assurance of our salvation. Well, that was point number one. Hey, we're through that one already. And that's three verses. Usually, we are going. Okay, we better back out of this first verse and start moving on. Right? Okay. Chapter 4. Can I do that? Is that legal for me to do to look at my watch while we do this? Most guys take it off and put it up there, but I just had to look. Sorry, I peeked. Okay. Point 2. I can do that because there's a break here. All right. <laughs> give, you a chance, give you a chance to rest your brains here. Chapter 4, verse 17 now. This is the second section. We only have two parts today. We don't have three. We are moving along. Okay. Love has been, what's the key word today? Perfect. Love has been perfected among us in this. What? 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 That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Here's our word. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because, there it is, he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment, We have from Him that He who loves God must love His brother also. Do you think John is black and white in his writing? Do you think he's really hard to understand? He really is not hard to understand. It's just simple. It's black and white. It's up in front of you. You say, Dennis, I know we've talked about love. It seems like week after week. Can't you turn the page and go on to another topic? Well, we will. But... That's where we're at. And so we continue on. I don't apologize, right? <laughs> no, you're not tired of this, right? Because in the depth of God's Word, hopefully we can draw something out of here that means something or re- make something uh, come to our memory to make us recall. Love is made complete in the Christian. That's our second part. So the topic of love is expanded in this section even more than it has been before. John just says, hey, I've talked about this now. I want you to check this out. Examine this. God lives in us and we in Him. We know that. Perfect love starts with God. Now, that's simple. We talked about that. It's God's initiative. Evangelical world today, 
would never say that we first loved God and then God loved us because they know this text. We love Him because He first loved us. And then He could probably ask them, well, if that be the case, that means we didn't love Him, right? Well, I guess in a sense, they might say. And of course, you could turn them to Ephesians 2 and show that we were at, uh, like Romans 5, or we are at enmity with God, or we're dead in our spiritual... Uh, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. You know, we're, we're, just, we're dead people, spiritually. We hate God. We're enemies. We're sinners. And we know it has to start with God. So if that be the case, then He not only loved us, but we also see that He chose us against what would have been, uh, as far as our, our own little will, which is bound in sin. And so we get this. We loved Him because He first loved us. Now, that's in verse 19, but 17 and 19, we're pulling together here, and then we'll pick up the rest of the verses. Love is a characteristic in this text, context. Alistair Begg said this, so I'll take his word for it. Love here, even though it's commanded in this text, love has been perfected among us in this. That means when you interpret Scripture, you have to see where it's at in the context. What is the word? What, how is it defined? And we see here, He first loved us. Uh, he comes in and slays our pride, knocks our feet out from underneath us, shows us that we have nothing good about it. And we don't deserve Him, and we don't deserve His love, and so perfect love comes in. And so He's not saying, hey, you have to love. We've already seen that, we'll see it again. And we'll round it up with that practical insight, but here He's saying this is our characteristic. Now the word perfect can bother people, because they'll say nobody's perfect. And I think that's a good statement to say. But in the context of where we're at and throughout Scripture a lot, we must find out what that word perfect or perfected is and then put it into where we're at, where we have been, where we're going. And I think we might get this word defined a little bit better then. The word is teleao. And how many here have heard of that word? Teleao. Teleao is really how you pronounce it. But that means the same thing that what Jesus had said before. Teleos. It is finished. It's complete. It's accomplished. It's fulfilled. We've come to maturity. It's perfect. Now, we're not talking about being flawless or sinlessly perfect here as Wesleyan theology would be talking about in perfectionism. We don't believe in that. But the perfect love of God is always because of God and we need to be grasped by this. Not only do we need to grasp it, but we need to be grasped by this. Rest in that. Accomplished. To reach a goal, we're going to spend just a few moments on this perfection, trying to get some different angles, maybe some word pictures, and try to grab this. God fully intends to accomplish His love. Uh, Let me put it this way, and this is probably the best way to define it. I'll, I'll probably say it three or four times. It's God's love being put into action. Okay, now we're putting it into us. 
It's God's love. If God really is love and love is put into us, then that love will be put into action. We will love others. God's love will reach its appointed goal in practical human love. Yes, He loves. His love is perfect. But even in that, it's going to be accomplished in us. What kind of God is that? That's amazing that He had put that kind of love in us to make sure it's accomplished. Let's let the rubber just hit the road here. Complete your talk with the walk. Okay? We talk spiritual things, but we need to walk it too, right? And that's how He's going to make it perfect. He's going to make that mature. When the love of God reaches its practical goal, when it really hits the road, action in your life, having an unshakable confidence before God because it has been completed. Sometimes our conscience kind of condemns us because we haven't been doing that like we should. I haven't been loving. My deeds haven't been like they should be. And all of a sudden, some people can really start beginning to wonder, I wonder if I'm even a Christian. I don't even love anybody. Look at what I just did. Look at what I said at that person that just cut me off in the way over there. And you know what? Immediately we need to... Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. That was a person you created. That's a person you really want me to love. I'm not going to shake my fist at them again. (laughs) That's just one of many. There's millions of other things that we sometimes wonder. Why do I do that? God's love is put into action. should be more and more where people just notice it. It is going to reach its appointed goal. It will reach its appointed goal. It will fulfill. It will come to action. Uh, Somebody has stated this, perfected love is the love of God expressing itself in our love to each other. Sounds just like what I just said, right? That's the experience of the love of God. We have the doctrine, we have that love in us, but it's experiencing that. The fullness of God's love is available to us. And we should desire to show that. What does it say in Romans 5.5? The love of God has been poured out in fullness, in fullness, in lavished upon us. That's fullness, isn't it? If it's lavished, He didn't hold back and say, huh, I'm going to give Hilton just a little bit of love. If He can do that, then I'll give Him a little bit more. He gives you absolute fullness with within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, we can understand that there was a floodgate open and the love of God just broke through the dam and went right on through our hearts. He broke our hearts. Isn't that great? We should have broken hearts. As we live on a broken stage, as we are broken actors, a brokenness would say, Lord, keep bringing Your love into me because I want to take a step up in my walk. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and not knowing God loves you or not because of some action that you did? Uh-oh, God doesn't love me now. God had to back off of His love. Can you imagine? He loves us just as much as He's always loved us and will love us into the future. He's not going to love somebody more because they were obedient. And He's not going to love somebody less because they were disobedient. He still loves them the same way because it's an eternal, perfect love. Wow. We don't understand that, do we? Our love ebbs and 
flows and tides and you know it just comes up and back down. You know it can just be all over the place. Those are emotions. But uh, agape love is always the same. Can you imagine not knowing His love though? Boy, it really puts us at rest and at peace, doesn't it? So He enlightened us. He opened our eyes. He awakened us. He brought us out of death. He brought us out of darkness into the light. And the Holy Spirit came in. We embraced the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He comes in, takes up residence in our lives. He lives here. God, the Holy Spirit, actually lives in us. We are the temple. Incredible. He takes up residing in us. Verse 17 also shows that perfect love is marked by confidence. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness. Because you have the love, you have boldness. Verse 17 tells us how to have something everybody wants to have. And then verse 18 is going to tell us how to get rid of something that everybody wants to get rid of. That's interesting. So 17 is like something you want to have and then the other one's kind of on on the other sense, something you want to get rid of. The word here for boldness is parhesia. And it means confidence. It means to even be blunt. To have such boldness to go right up into the throne room. And if you were from a society that had kings, you would never just walk up right to the king and just start speaking to him. If you were invited, you can go to the king. And then you have to take almost like classes and learn how to stand before the king. And if you have the opportunity to talk, how you're supposed to talk and address the king. And here he says we have boldness. That's that's a word. That's the word for the moment. And we've looked at perfect or perfected love. Now we look at boldness. Go right into the throne room. We've heard of that before. That's that's what he's given us. Now in First John, say that's the same book, isn't it? Back a couple pages, chapter two, verse twenty eight. And now, little children, that's all of us, abide, remain. Minnow, right? Stick around in Him. Live in Him. That when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. That's dealing with the second coming. That means whenever He comes back, we will have, we have boldness in thinking, I want Him to come back. Whenever He comes, I'm ready. I want Him to come back. People who are not sure, or they're enjoying the things of this world, say, well, I'm not quite ready for Him to come back now. Somebody might be getting married and they say, well, he can come back a couple years after we've had our honeymoon and everything. Boldness in that the Christ is going to come back, a second coming. We'll look in 1 John 3, 21. We'll just stand right here in the book of John. That's easy, isn't it? Verse 21. We remember this. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence or boldness toward God. Why do we have that confidence? Well, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So we have confidence in prayer. That means we're going to ask 
what Jesus would ask. We ask in Jesus' name. If we've been on His Word, then we're going to know what kind of prayer that we should ask. And sometimes we're not sure, so we ask anyway and say, Lord, it's still Your will though. And if that's not what You want, it's okay. We're still praying in in Jesus' name and His authority and what He would be asking. So we have confidence when we go in prayer that He's going to answer that prayer, isn't He? We have that confidence. Now, He's going to do it in His timing. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6 says we are adopted. says we were received. It says we were um, accepted in the Beloved. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says that we're children of God. says we are heirs of God. We can come right up to Him, to this, uh, this Abba, Father. Yeah, that's confidence, isn't it? Man, what grace has been given to us knowing that we have this perfect love and it's marked by confidence. We can have confidence to know that the Father treats us the way He treats the Son. I really had to think about that. Because, see, we are brothers of Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs with Him. That's an amazing thing. It doesn't lift us into any godhood, but that's incredible that He's he's not even ashamed to call us brethren. That's staggering. Now, we can have confidence just like the Son had when He was here on earth about not facing judgment. As it says here in 1 John, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as He is, so are we in the world. No Christian should ever fear the judgment. And that's kind of where we're working into now. You can say, huh, day of judgment. And we'll get into the word fear in a moment. Fearing and judgment just tie right in together here. But the, the day of judgment here, or, or this judgment, is the day of judgment when you think of God is separating the sheep and the goats, or um, when when you have when you're before the great white throne judgment. And I don't know. I sure hope he takes me on in. <laughs> I don't know about this. You know, we're standing with all the other people who are not believers, and you, know, you don't have to fear that. You see, your sins were judged. When? Where? At the cross. Always take it back to the cross. There is, it's not a characteristic for a Christian to fear in that way. To fear judgment. Judgment speaks here of God's wrath. Speaks of eternal hell. That is what he's saying here. When It's involving torment, as it says in verse 18. Judgment is the most logical idea that awaits all men because God is holy. But for some people, He paid the price so that they could come with confidence into the presence of Him forever. If you're a Christian, you have no fear of judgment and you eagerly wait for the return of Christ, it just looks like at the end that this could be a scary thing. But remember, and it should be, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Verse 7 through 10 speaks of the coming of Christ to judge the unbelieving, wicked world. 
comes back and says, to give you who are troubled, rest with us. That's what Paul says. We want you to have rest. When the Lord Jesus is revealed, the, the curtain is pulled back. It's a revealing apocalypse. To unveil from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. What is fire? Oh, it's judgment. Wrath. Taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who it's coming on. These shall be punished. Look at this. With everlasting destruction. What does Rob Bell do with that? (laughs) Well, he has to omit that, doesn't he? He has to twist it and make it say something that fits his own kind of thought. With everlasting destruction. Hey, here's something that's even worse and ties right in. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Do you rejoice in God's glory? Do you rejoice in God's great power as you you seek out what His power is and His truth? His creative power? When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints, when He comes back, we're going to meet Him in the air and then we're coming right back with Him to do what? To show His glory. He's showing His glory and it says to be glorified in His saints. We're not going to be waiting for judgment and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Wow. He's coming back with retribution. That's the thought. Quite a judgment here. One of the main reasons why so many professing Christians have little confidence about God and and they don't have much boldness with men is because they're not devoted in love to the salvation of the lost. Because when you read a text like this, you don't rejoice in it. You give God the glory because of it. But at the same time, you become very restrained in your joy because you know people are going to be judged in a a fire, eternal punishment, constant, forever. And I think that is something that we are, I think, blown away by when we really think about it in the sense that these people are hurting. They don't know that. Are we devoted to getting out the Gospel to the lost? Are we devoted to that? Is in our hearts that do we see our neighbor, do we see the people around us at work, everywhere that we're at, do we have a mission-oriented thought to people, not only around us, but to all the way across the, uh, the pond, all the way into Europe, all the way that goes into Russia, Siberia, China, all the way to the Far East. As far as the east is to the west, we would desire that their sins be cast away. We're given that in our hearts. Do you care about the lost? Are you giving them the gospel? You know that they don't know it. You know they never heard it and you wonder, why don't I ever say anything to Him? I see Him every week, every day. Once a month I run into that person. I've never said anything about it. Oh my. You know what? When we don't do that, it... Kind of sometimes I think it makes people even wonder why they don't do that, and we lose comfort 
in our eternal security even. Anyway, we should have confidence. That love that's, that, that, that cares about the person who doesn't know God because He's going to judge them with everlasting destruction. And that should drive us. Verse 18 now talks about fear back in 1 John 4. It only makes sense. We want to have boldness in the day of judgment and we should have the boldness right now. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Here we go. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So we've been talking about perfection. We've been talking about confidence. And now what do we talk about? Fear. Now there's an English word that is phobia. And if you know phobia, you've just learned a Greek word. Phobos. Fear is the word. Same thing. Phobia. Somebody might say, uh, well, hey, I thought we were to fear God. That's biblical. What well, is? We are to fear God. That's the whole point. We are to fear God. We're not to fear judgment. To fear God means to have that reverential awe and total respect for His Word, for who He is. And there is a sense of, yeah, that kind of fear I need to have of God. Yes, I can come boldly to Him at the same time. I also want to fear Him and that He's not just my little buddy upstairs. I can just you know put my arm around Him. There is that reverence of God that we want to have. To be in awe of Him. But we're never to fear judgment because God has cast away our sin. There's no reason to have any of that. None of us who accepts this teaching is ever going to approach that judgment seat of God. There is the judgment seat of Christ who rewards us for what we've done here, but we're not punished because that has been done. Uh, And that's another subject and we don't have the time to go into that, but we are to have confidence and we are to realize that perfect love that we have right now cast out this kind of fear. Look in 1 Timothy 1.7. 1 Timothy 1.7. Desiring... No, 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 no. You know what? Sorry. I messed up. It's 2 Timothy. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We don't have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of love. So Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, is in agreement with what we see also here in John. Perfect love casts out fear. Interesting, isn't it? It banishes fear. Cast out fear. If you really have the love of God, you don't have that. You know, some Christians are always waiting for the shoe to drop. You know, they're waiting. Anytime God is going to get me here, That's a terrible theology. You know, things have been going along too good. 
God's getting ready to rain down His, His judgment on me if I goof up here. And I know it's going to happen any time. <laughs> so we walk around all of our lives just waiting for that to happen. And that's not right. That's people anticipating calamity. Yeah, God might bring along a, uh, upon another trial. He does do that. It's a constant thing. But, uh, and that's not even anything to fear. But people can walk around and be paralyzed. Perfect love. Knowing the love of God that He has in us would never do anything that would harm or hurt us. Never ever would do that. It's always for our good. Perfect love. God's love drives out out fear. So now we go back to 1 John. And He's showing who are true Christians. Christians really have the confidence, don't they? Verse 20. If someone says... Oh, this sounds kind of uh, repeated again. If someone says... If anyone says this, right? John says this all along. I love God. Oh, I love God. I love God. And hates his brother. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? He says, he's a liar. That brother is deluded. He's, John is saying he's not a brother in the Lord. Uh, goes back to 1 John 2, verse 4 and 5. He who says, there we go, he who says, if we say, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His Word, truly, the love of God, is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. There's the love of God perfected in the true believer. If you know God, then you'll keep His commandments. If you know God, you will love Him. So there was a test of obedience right there in that one. And also, God's love that's poured in us. So in verse 20, for the seventh time in 1 John, if someone says... And you'll constantly have the if we sayers. Oh yeah, I've been a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. I don't know how many people I have talked to that have come in the store and say, I've been a Christian all my life. And in one sense I can say, okay, I understand what you're talking about. But I have to wonder, as soon as they came out of the birth canal, were they a Christian? Well, maybe they've been chosen by God, but there's a point in time where they believe the Gospel. They believe the truth. And they then have faith. And that's what it requires. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So how can you come out of that birth canal be believing when you are a wicked sinner? As David said, even in the womb, (laughs) I was a sinner. The depravity of man. So therefore, I don't believe them when they say, I've always been a Christian. I grew up in the church is what they're saying. I was born there and I was baptized there as a baby and so therefore that makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. Show me in Scripture where that ever is shown. That does not make you a Christian. So you have a lot of if-we-sayers. A lot of people. A lot of people in the pews today at church are worshiping or at worship where believers are. And they say they're believers, but they fail these tests. One of them, two of them, maybe all three of them. If someone says, John says, all these claims, in this case right here, if they say, hey, I love God. 
I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And then he has hate as a characteristic. He hates he hates his neighbor. He hates his, he hates the politicians. We're even called to love them, guys. That's hard to say, isn't it? But we're called to love our leaders that are in the government, even the ones who hate God, because we're to love even our enemies. And it's a test. Do we have that characteristic? And if we hate other people, we're lying. We're, we're deceiving ourselves. If we hate other people and we have no love for them, you have to really question if you're a believer or not. Wow. Dennis, you're putting doubt in my heart. <laughs> Uh, that's not my idea. I want to be like John here, but uh, let's let's test ourselves. Do we really love others? Do we love the people that shouldn't be loved? They don't deserve it. Well, neither do we. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. It's enough, Dennis. Perfect love is to be applied by us to others. I can't say it enough. We can't say it enough. We need to be reminded always. I need to hear it. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He graced you when you didn't deserve it. Yeah, that says you have to do this kind of thing. First John 13. Uh, uh, the book of John. John 13. First John, the 13 chapters. We've added on this week. <laughs> Cursed is the one who has on the Scripture. Okay. We go back to the Gospel of John. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, Jesus says, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are you just saying it? Or do you say it and do it? Our love for God releases itself to love the brethren. Perfection. What about it? We're ready to tie this up. Unless we're really loving our brothers, we're deceiving ourselves. We consider ourselves to love God. We learn to love God by loving others who we see. And that's why He brings along certain people that are really hard to love. You know, God does that on purpose. And He brings people that we really want to love and does that too. And that's easy. We have family, husbands, wives, you know, spouses, uh, kids, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, cousins, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's easy. Then He brings along people that, hey, I'm not going to spend any time with that guy. Okay, this is quite a challenge to me here, folks. I won't, I won't lie to you. This, this is hard. This is so simple. Remember what I said earlier? This is very simple. But this is so profound. I have all the capacity to do this. And I'll be honest with you. I don't come up to par with what this really should be. There is a lack of love on my part. But there may be one for you too. And this is why we're called to love even more. And then when we've done that, then we're to love even more. But I did this, and to love even more. But I did that, and to love even more. Um, here's some questions. This is a challenge, folks. 
We're going to get to the nitty gritty. And we're going to go out here in a blaze. Are you ready? Are you ready? Brace yourselves. What about the fact that we're so prone to criticize other Christians? What about the fact that we're ready to jump to negative conclusions about those who are Christians? What about the fact that we're slow to bear their burdens? What about the fact that we are unwilling to walk in their shoes? What about the fact that we're really ready to magnify others' faults, but we get angry when somebody magnifies our faults? Is our current pattern in our lives desiring the eternal good for others? Is that our pattern? We would sure hope. Are we merely making ourselves comfortable in this life? Are we merely making ourselves have it easy as we can? Have our name esteemed and whatever? What we need to do is ask God to fill us with His love, which He does. He's already done it, but there's a practical aspect. We are to be being filled with the Spirit, the same thing. Colossians says, be being filled with the Word of God, which is the same thing. We have the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We're being filled. Then we can do this. When we're inconsistent in our walks, we really make it difficult for the unbelieving world to really make sense out of this belief, this Christian faith that we have. It's confusing to them when we say one thing and we don't do or do other things that contradict what we believe. We leave our non-Christian neighbors saying, I don't see any reason why I would want to believe what they believe. I don't see any reason. I don't see it at all. The source, and here we come back. Here's where the grace of God comes back. He convicts us, but then He reminds us the source of love is Him. And He resides in us. The sign of the divine love is that the Christ of the cross. That's where we look at. We look at the love of Christ there at the cross because that is where the extreme display of the great love of God is now shown in our hearts and it's to be manifest in our lives It's to be manifest in Grace Community Church. There's a challenge. Let's manifest it. You guys love. I know you do. Man, I've had it it from all of you guys. I've had a lot of love from you over the course of years, over the course of months, over the course of just the last week or two. I want to tell you, it really means a lot. So I'm not saying you don't do it. But let's do it more. Let's even keep doing it more and letting it just shed abroad and run out of it where God has to come in and fill the cup again. Thank the Lord for giving us Your love. Let's pray. Lord, deliver us from the deceitfulness of our heart. Create in us, Lord, a pure heart. Give us a spirit that's willing to believe in the truth, to obey the very beauty of Jesus Christ. Because that's where the good news comes in. You are the balm in Gilead. 
You come in and heal those wounds. You come in and show us. You you convict us and lay open the very guilt of our sin, but You come in and You fill us with joy. You fill us with peace because of the forgiveness that's found at the cross. And the promise of eternal life so that we may know that we are in You and You are in us. Lord, free us from this selfishness and our pride so we can love the very way that You love us. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word and Your Spirit and help us to show the Christ in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're going to ask our musicians to come up and prepare our hearts to come to the table.
prepared for that table, having our hearts clean before Him, knowing that as we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And uh, we get to look upon Him even more so. And see fullness of Christ. And just a little bit of word. A lot of times in our... Um, as we commune together, we like to know what's happening out in the uh, rest of the realm. And uh, Sergey's church, Brother Sergey, as we fellowship in the communion, we uh, we fellowship with him in communion, and we have been blessed by God in, in a lot of ways. And uh, finances in this church, we've taken a lot of money and spread out in a lot of different places, a lot of different ways. You guys just keep giving and love. It's incredible. So we just keep letting it go out. And we had some go out a, a week or two ago. Uh, here's what's his answer to that. The next day he says, uh, Dear Dennis, your family and church of the Lord at you, we warmly give thanks to the Christ of Jesus for you and for your love to the people of the Christ. We have received from you the help for ministering to the Almighty. Um, he says five hundred. That's what we do. That's, and five hundred dollars to them is a lot more than five hundred dollars here. So that's good to know. We bless you in the name of Sovereign God, and we pray to the Christ for you. And we ask God to render to plentifully you all blessings of the kingdom of heaven for glory of the Christ. Exclamation! Big to you. Thanks. <laughs> and you almost hear somebody speaking. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, and ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he took that right out of Psalm 103, verses 20 through 22. So his prayer, and he's constantly giving Scripture. He'll address with Scripture. He has Scriptures all throughout his letter. He ends with the prayer for us. He has, and I say he, it's his church. They're getting blessings for us. That little small church there has been blessed and given stuff out to people, DVDs and Bibles. Um, the Gospel has been given out. I'll give you just a little sample. Um, I'm not going to take too much time. I'm just going to do a highlight and then we'll take uh, our communion as remembering how God has used the blessing and given us as we help them as they take the gospel out. And he uses 24.14 in Matthew, in this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations and then shall the end come. And this is another letter that he sent before. Uh, all together with you, the church, you love and wait the coming of the Christ. We pray to Christ for you, you workers of the Lord in his vineyard faithfulness and obedience to the Master, you accomplices of evangelism of grace in Siberia. Through your support, the Lord becomes famous in Siberia. Using the distribution of savor of glory, the hymn, we have been very blessed by God to visit New Village with such name, Shabalino. There a young family, Valera and Luba, with pleasure, have accepted from us the grace gospel. We have told him about the Christ and have presented the New Testament and disc DVD with sermons and Christian songs. We ask you to pray for rescue of this young family to both of them for 28 years in the settlement of Troas. We visited the family of Sister Margarita. Her husband, Dina, drinks often vodka and consequently in their house material ruined. This time God has blessed us to find His house in sober. Margarita has invited neighbors to listen to the kingdom gospels 
gods, Audrey, neighbor of Lyajumila, I don't know, Mezzi talking about our Audrey. Her husband, Maxim, you know Maxim on your street? And four children, ten has come 12 years, the neighbor, we preached to him about the glory of the Christ and presented the literature and this DVD. We ask the Lord to give all these people saving grace and the living faith in the Christ. We give the children, good children, books about God. Such books that us come to an end. Pray for us what to get new books for children. We hope that some of that money is able to get more new children's books that they teach them. Um, skip again. There's so much good stuff here. I hate to end that. But the one thing I can always send it to you is uh, he did say uh, there's a, in the settlement, there is one settlement that has a small group of Pentecostals. He says, unfortunately, they preach easy belief. Their divinity with concentration on the person and needs of people. <laughs> Instead of concentrating on the glory of God and the gospel, they concentrate on their felt needs. Sounds like a fear, doesn't it? Right here in our country. In the settlement of Trots, uh, Miller has told us that went to Pentecostals, but there has met the pastor of church, the drunk. She has asked the him, after all, to get drunk. It, it's a sin. And uh, he has responded to her at that him pardonably. Alas, he said, we are distressed about such people. They, they corrupt churches and push away from the Christ of people. That's what what's happening in that, those churches. In settlement, people, non-believers, say that there is no difference between Christian and non-believers. Both believers and non-believers drink vodka. We ask God to store us with any sin. What to us not to submit temptation to whom? Anyway, uh, we could go on and on. Uh, they already have snowfall. Um, obviously, it dropped in September. Uh, to us, promise still all the October long, warmly days, but at night, uh, already cold to 14 degrees. He says, he says, We give thanks to the Almighty for you, for your prayers about us, for help to us. The Lord, yes, will render to you in glory the Christ Jesus for your faithfulness to the grace gospel and love to Jesus Christ. With prayers about you, the slave to sovereign God for the glory of the Christ. The glorious sovereign grace church there desires to get the gospel out. And that's what our communion is about. It's about the gospel. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about His death, burial, and resurrection. It's about Him coming back. We commune with Him as we commune with people all across the world that we've never met. Who one of these days we will meet Sergey and all the people in this church. And we'll be thanking the Lord that we know each other. May not ever be here, but we will one day in, in the eternal kingdom. Lord, I'll tell you what, I can't wait. Isn't that sound great? Boy, that's going to be a pure fellowship. This is just a glimpse, folks. What we're doing today is a rehearsal for the real thing. We're just rehearsing. We're rehearsing on a broken stage, broken people, and we thank the Lord for forgiveness of sin. Father, we thank you for this precious communion time. And Lord, uh, any sin that we have, we know that you've forgiven it. We ask for forgiveness of uh, whatever offends your holiness. And we root that out of us so that we can purely take of this realizing that it is you that makes all this worship possible. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And I'm going to have uh, this slide start. And, uh, <coughs>
<laughs> I felt like I got gypped today. I got to get my glasses out. Thank you guys for preparing. I think we ran out of meeting. Then you didn't have to move on. This is community work too. Hey, it's easy. This, this is like everybody else said. This is stuff I saw in my store all the time. Come on, you know? Buy bread, juice, flex on the person, cry, see symbols, really show a picture of what is that. And, uh, Hey, why not say that blessing? Blessed are the in the universe who bring us to work bread and you.